0: Let me put on the screen a question that's really taught and alluded to oftentimes in teaching and and sermons. And this question is this, what does God want from you? Now, when I look at that question, there's just a couple of sub-questions as I think about all of the teaching and things that surround that. And maybe a couple of them are this, what does God want me to do? And, and a second one, what does God want me to, how does he, what does he want to me, me to become? Both legitimate questions, and I think it's a fair question. Uh, you know, what does God want from us? That's a, again, a way to look at it. But let me throw you another question that has far less teaching on, less discussion on, if you go to the internet world and the, that question on the screen. What do you want from God? Have you ever pondered that? What do you want from God? Is there anybody here today that rolled out of bed, put your feet on the floor, and said, Huh, God, what do I want from you today? Anybody do that this morning? As you started the day? What what do we want from God? Now, there is a view of God here that I want to weave that question into. And it really is, I would argue, it's a smaller view of God. It's not necessarily inaccurate. And if you follow along in the outline there in the bulletin notes, I said it this way. We wanted God to be our personal repairman. Now, you got to hear me. This view is not illegitimate in a sense. And technically it's not wrong. But it's a view of God that I suspect that many of us have adopted at least for periods of time in our walk with Christ. And I want to put a picture on the screen what this represents. God fixing something. See, if you own a house like Deanna and I own a house, from time to time you end up calling a repairman, don't we? The stove doesn't light, or the washing machine doesn't fill in with water, and we can't fix it ourselves. Or the refrigerator— all of a sudden, you wake up and it's warm, and the or that freezer is melting. We kind of scramble a bit, but what do we do? We call a repairman to fix that which is broke. You know, a couple of years ago, our stove broke down in the middle of the winter time. You know, and cooking on a barbecue out in the middle of winter is really not the best way to go. But when something gets broken, it needs to get fixed. But now, put this in the spiritual realm. If we were to look at our prayers and our lists that we pray, are not many of those things on that list about God repairing something? Or fixing somebody's life in some way, I, I have to admit that that's much of on my list is that. And guess what? God can fix it. And the truth is that lives are broken around us, and God really is the only one that can fix it. And why wouldn't we want God to fix things that are broken? But again, I got to restate this. This idea is not evil, it's normal, it's understood that God is a repairman, and we're told actually to bring our requests to him because he sympathizes even with our weaknesses and our struggles. But think with me a moment, how God can be a repairman as we approach him on a regular basis in the areas of brokenness. We think of this, a marriage is broken. God, work, fix it. We think we use the phrase there's broken families all around us. And we're going, God, will you change that situation? Will you fix it? We pray for physical healing when our bodies break down. And we pray for people, and it's legitimate and it's true. We pray for finances. God, will you fix their finances and give them a job? And we even pray, for example, for the Middle East. That's chaos over there. We go, God, would you repair that? But whether it's a broken store, a stove or a broken relationship, we know that brokenness and it really is a place where we don't want to stay. It kind of leaves us unsettled. We want life to work, and kind of in a smooth sense. Now, again, are these prayers wrong? I go, no, no, and no. They're they're not illegitimate. But if it's the only way that we relate to God, if a repairman is how we view God, it comes up short of who God really is. Uh, You know what? I can call a repairman every week, come to the house and fix something. And that doesn't equal me having a deep, intimate relationship with him. It doesn't mean that I'm bonding with him. I can be really grateful that he comes and fixes my stove or the refrigerator. And we are grateful. But just maybe there's something more profound that we need to understand and embrace about God. And maybe I think it plays into this, is it's why he fixes things, why he heals lives. See, see, there's this place where we need to understand why. But there's another aspect of God as a repairman as well, or fixing an appliance or even a marriage. See, I think at times when we talk about God fixing, God, would you get it back to the same place that it was before, you know, you get a new burner on the stove and it works just like it did before. But even, in, for example, a marriage, when you talk about a marriage filled with pain and anger and, and hurt and, and fighting, it can imply that bringing that marriage back to a place where it's just not fighting, it's, it's kind of, you know what, it's smooth, things are going okay. And I would argue, well, maybe that's really not where we want to get it back to. Matter of fact, I want to put a statement on the screen sometimes, I think, when we pray. Sometimes we want God to rescue, to fix us, just enough to get us out of trouble, but not enough to keep us from falling back and repeating the same thing. Say, get me out of the chaos right now, God. And we're kind of satisfied with that. And I even think that there's another response as well when God does heal, when he does fix. We kind of come back and go, God, you fixed my situation. You got me out of it. You healed me. And all of a sudden what we want to do is we're going to start re- repaying God back. We're going to give back to him. We're going to give money to the church. We're going to begin to serve him. We're going to do these things. And I have to tell you that that kind of response God doesn't need us to respond that way. I, I, I have to tell you, God is not a needy God. Matter of fact, I, I think at times we communicate even that God, he needs our glory. And I'm here to tell you that he doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need us to give him glory. He's got enough glory within that Godhead. that's going on right now. So the desire to move us to a different place, to heal us, to get us fixed, there's got to be a different reason that speaks to the why He heals, why He restores, why He fixes. And i got to tell you, it pushes us to a bigger view of God when we ask that why. And, And here it is for your notes. I said it this way. Our Heavenly Father is preparing us even in the midst of fixing us for an eternal relationship with his son. Now I've dug a little bit in this area before and a couple years ago I kind of went down this path but even a couple weeks ago I made a statement that has to do with marriage and the statement was something like this. There is no... Better biblical understanding of our relationship with God than the imagery of a marriage. There is no other that gives the fullest and the depth of understanding of who God is than the idea of a marriage. It gives weight to it. Matter of fact, I wanted to show you a couple verses that even just kind of infer all even in the Old Testament some of this the picture and the imagery of marriage. Look at Isaiah 54, 5. For your Maker is your husband. And the Lord Almighty is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He's called the God of all the earth. Here's this God out there, and he says, He's your husband. A marriage imagery here. Look at another one. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 31 and 32. You of this generation consider the word of the Lord. Have I been a desert to Israel or a land of great darkness? Why do my people say we are free to roam? We will come to you no more. Does a young woman forget her jewelry, a bride, her wedding ornaments? Why does he keep weaving in this picture of a marriage? Yet my people, my people have forgotten me. Days without number. Look at Ezekiel 16.8. Then I passed by again, and I saw that you were old enough for love, so I wrapped my cloak around you to cover your nakedness and declared my marriage vows. I made a covenant with you, says the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. This picture of there's a young woman who's ready for marriage, and he said, I declare my marriage vows to you. Uh, we, we could go to the whole book of Hosea and the allegory of, of Hosea and Gomer in this relationship of, of a wife who's unfaithful. Understand, it's a picture of a marriage that describes us in a, in a biblical sense of why we run away and do the things we do. This picture of marriage, folks, is profound. And, and let me give you the key point to fill in that blank there. We were made and saved for a spiritual marriage. See, other Bible metaphors speak about bonding with God as well. And you talk about sonship and engrafting and friendship. But none is as inclusive or revealing as when God expresses its heart through marriage terms. God does, does he want to take away our brokenness? Yes. But it isn't just to live a happy life. It's so much more. It's so much more than just steadiness and feeling secure in this world. He doesn't fix us just to get us out of trouble. It's for a purpose. Another key point if you're following along, our Heavenly Father is fixing us for the purpose of becoming a bride for his son. See, he wants a radical transformation of our lives and of our hearts. Let me give you another key point here that follows with this. And I said it this way. Do we know that the Father's work in our lives is rooted in His love for His Son. There's something, God loves us, but understand this, the love for us is rooted in the love between the Father and the Son. That's where it actually starts. Because He loves the Son, He is looking to restore us and even to fix us, to move us to a different place. Now I, I want to put one verse on the screen for you this morning, John chapter seventeen here, and in this verse creates a lens that is deep and rich and it's profound and, and, and I gotta we're going to go to Ephesians five here a little bit in a few minutes, but I, I got to walk you through this this verse here because it is it, it creates a set of lenses that we look through. And as we look at this, here's where I'm convinced is that when we discover this verse and what it means, this is what should drive us to discipleship. It should drive us to worship and to serve Him. It should be the motivation for loving our neighbor. It should be the motivation for loving God. But look how it goes. I just want to walk through this real quickly here. This lens of understanding of who God is begins as Father. I want those you have given me. We'll stop there a second. Now who are those? It's the church. It's those that are going to come to faith and put their faith in him, in the son. And it's becoming, ultimately, it's going to become the bride. But you you catch this, what's going on here. This is an an arranged marriage. God is the one that's initiating this. And he's using marital terms, and we're going to jump into it again in, in Ephesians 5, but what's going on here is that the father is giving a gift, those, to his son. That's what he's doing. He's giving a bride to his son. But let me keep going in this verse. To be with me. A relationship. Where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me. See, the relationship between the father is not a passive relationship. There's deep interaction here. And the father even glorifies his son. It's one of the reasons why, folks, we can't ever glorify him and fulfill anything of substance. There's enough glory that goes around there between the Father and the Son. But we need to answer, see, why does the Father give a gift to His Son, those which is the church and the bride of Christ? And look at the phrase there, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Now just stop there a second. We've got to catch what that means. That the church, those, as the bride of Christ, were in the thoughts of the Father before the earth was even spinning on its axis. Did you catch what was going on? For eternity, somewhere in eternity, before the world was created, there was a love between the Father and the Son, and the Father wants to give the Son a gift, and He goes, I am going to give my Son a bride. That was going on even before the world was created, because I love my Son so much. Because of the Father's love. See, we were thought of, we were planned, we were a gift, because the Father loved His Son. That is why we can say that the Father's transforming work in our lives is rooted in the love for His Son. He's changing us because He loves His Son. You know, we live in a world and even within the church where there's so many followers of Christ. They put their faith in Christ, but they don't feel worthy of God's love. And can I say this really quite pointedly? If this concept doesn't make us special and important in the eyes of God, I go, whatever will that he thought of us before the foundation of the world and that he was going to allow us to come to faith in himself, put our love and our, and our devotion to the Son and then we become a gift from the Father to the Son. Uh, do you see how much he values us? How, how he loves us? Turn with me to Ephesians 5. That's just the lens for this passage here, folks. And here's where I want to jump in, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, if you're following along in your Bible, I understand a lot of times when people come to this text, what we tend to do is take this one, husbands love your wives, and we tend to put an earthly marriage over the top of it, and can I say this, that's actually the minimal part of this text, we, we use it a lot for kind of beating up husbands and wives and saying, you ought to do this and do that. But I'll tell you this, this says much more about the theology of who God is and the Father and the Son than it really does even about earthly marriage. We tend to exploit it for our own marriage uh, as, we, as we discuss marriage. But I want to read it for you this morning to begin with. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Therefore, a man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Quotes from Genesis chapter uh, 2. And I look at verse 32. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This isn't really about marriage to the extent of we think that we think it is. See, this mystery is profound. It reveals a spiritual marriage that maybe overshadows or a spiritual marriage that overshadows an earthly marriage. This is about an eternal relationship, a covenant relationship that the Father has started. So remember, when we think of God as a repairman, it brings us to this question why then? Does God want to heal us, to repair us, to to bring us to a different place? And and it goes so much farther than I think we would imagine. But look at that in verse 25 again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, let me give you the key point to fill in your notes here. Just to remind you here, the objective of the cross... Was to have a covenantal relationship between the Son and the church. Jesus died for our sins, but the purpose was more than just to get rid of our sins in some positional move from now we're unsaved to saved. There's a movement of spiritual relationship taking place here a marriage. And those, when it talks about this idea of the church, I understand it's a universal church. Maybe it's not the local in that sense. But it's this, there's this covenantal relationship between now the Son and the church. Look at verse 26 though, keep going here. That he might sanctify her. Look at the words that he used, that he would cleanse her by the washing of the water with the word. And and here's a key point I fear application here. The Father and the Son are actively involved in preparing us for the wedding. You know, Jesus didn't look at his future bride and say, go get cleaned up on your own, or go find somebody else to make you look beautiful. He jumped in, and he is working to change us, to sanctify us, to clean us up. Now, do we do our part? The answer is, yeah, we do. I think Scripture is clear that we as well have a, a piece in this. But remember, when Jesus left, he sent the Holy Spirit to work within us. Why? To protect us, to keep us, to steer us back, to get us ready for something that goes beyond this earth. It's for the future. And because we're, in one sense, we're in this engagement period right now, God looks at this setting and goes, I want to get you ready for my son. And remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about the jealousy of God. He said, don't give your love to the world. Why? Because he wants to get us ready for the son, for this this. Picture of Mary just going to go into eternity. So he changes us, he cleans us up. Let's keep going. Look at 27. So that, why does he clean us up? So that he might present the church, the bride of Christ, to himself in splendor. Interesting word, isn't it? without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, i got to point out a very subtle point here, and and in the notes I said it this way. Salvation and this marriage isn't individualistic. I, I think that's what we want from our faith at times. See, people who come to faith, they tend to start drifting down this path. It's Jesus and me, or Jesus in my family. And when people go down that path, they are distorting the reality of the collective nature of the bride of Christ. Folks, this marriage is about us together. Revelation 19 I don't have it on the screen here, but it says the bride, the us, is making itself ready for that great wedding. So it's not individual sanctification; even it implies us working together. We're involved in each other's lives to be getting ready for this great reunion with the Father's Son. I, again, we just keep thinking that the church is for the benefit of my family, and goes that's wrong and it's selfish. Even when I think of the gifts that are given to the body of Christ. Why? It's for the us. For this group called the bride. That we would become more beautiful as we're presented to the Son. But look at at the verse again. With the goal that Christ has us for a bride so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without a spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Let me give you a key application there, a key point. A worthy groom needs a worthy bride. See, this speaks to God's transforming work in our lives and what he wants to do. He wants to make us beautiful. And do you realize he started it by humbling himself and going to the cross. That's how he began. What's the picture? What's this making a bride worthy? As I was studying this week, one of the thoughts came back to the worst chores I ever had to do on the farm. I grew up on a farm, and occasionally, we didn't have it all the time, but occasionally we had pigs. And if you've ever had a, been on a farm that has pigs, and, and in the winter time up north here, you, you got to keep them inside. And in the spring, there would be hit a point where Dad would, uh, I had two other brothers, and he would get us together and say, guess what? It's uh, cleaning the pig pen time. And I understand what a pig pen looks like. If you've ever seen pigs that have been in a barn in the same spot for a a whole bunch of months, do you know what that looks like? (laughs) Some of you know, you've grown up on a farm. There's about six, eight inches or more of manure that's just thick and squishy. (coughs) And what what we had to do is we'd take a couple wheelbarrows and two of us would basically... uh, We'd, we'd, we'd be throwing the manure in the wheelbarrows, and then one would be wheeling it out. But do you know what would happen in that process? There was splattering, and manure would get on our clothes, on our arms, on our face, and, and when we'd get done, we'd run into the house, and our laundry was down in the basement, so we'd run down there, you'd get the clothes off, and my mom would throw them in the laundry as quick as possible so it wouldn't smell up the laundry room. But put that picture really in one sense of what Christ is doing. We have all these clothes that are stinky, they're dirty, and do you know what Jesus did at the cross? He came and said this, would you take off your clothes? and I'm going to take off my garment, and would you put this on? And he takes our clothes on, and he puts them on. He took our sin, and he put it on himself. Why? To make us clean and beautiful. See, folks, we have an unselfish God. And we were ugly and we look like we lived in a dump and he comes and he pursues us and, and he takes a towel and he begins to clean us up. And he doesn't tell somebody else to go do it. He actually does it and begins to wash us And he because he, he wants to have a bride that's worthwhile. Worthy. And the father works to be, create a bride who's worthy of his son. There's a kind of a phrase out there I don't know, it's pretty recent, but some of you might know the phrase, we look at marriages and go, they you look at a guy and go, you know what, you married up. You know what that phrase means? If you know that, is that this woman that you married might be a little above you, okay? But think of it this way. Jesus doesn't want to marry down. So what does he do? He changes the bride. He works in the bride. And the Father and the Spirit works in the bride that we would become worthy of the Son. He changes us. And yet we stop and we ponder and go, you know what? There really wasn't anything all that beautiful in us to really to be attracted. You know, we weren't the good looking woman as the bride of Christ. But He looks at us and He goes, I'm going to love you anyway it's the book of Hosea in that picture. But why did he do this? Why did God work? Because he was taking this bride, us as the bride, and he's going, I'm going to make you worthy as a gift to my son. And he cleanses the church, his bride. So it's not only looking to restore, but it's a complete makeover so that me, we would be able to dwell with him forever as a spotless bride dead unto sin and living in a relationship with him. But let me throw a question at you. Are you hindering Jesus in making you beautiful? Are there things in your life right now where you're working against the Holy Spirit and he wants to change you and transform you, are you resisting it in some way? That's between you and the Holy Spirit. But let me throw out another piece to this. If you're going through a hard time right now, Can I tell you that God wants to use it not only to fix the pain, to get you out of it, He actually wants to transform you in that pain to make you become more beautiful for Himself and for the Father? That the purpose of suffering at times and pain and hardship is that we would begin to turn and give up and allow Him to change us profoundly. And, and that's why he keeps inviting us into this relationship is to come close to him because as we come close to him, he changes us. From the inside out. It's not about effort. The spirit works within us. But let me end with this. I want to put a picture on the screen here. Here's the repairman. And here's a picture of a, of a bride And a groom. And the question would be Do you relate to God, to the son, more as the one on the left there, the the repairman? Or do you see yourself as part of the bride of Christ that God is wanting to do something so that he's wanting you to walk down that aisle with beauty? And he walked, is going to walk into this marriage that Revelation 19 talks about. There's going to be this huge wedding where we will start eternity at that point and we're going to move into this relationship that is so beyond what we can imagine right now. And as we get into there, into that relationship, catch this, is that we're never going to get bored with it. It's going to get better and better and better. And we all of a sudden there's this deep, Love that the Son is going to be given us, and the Father, and He brings the Father actually brings us into the relationship between Himself and His Son. And it's going to be absolutely profound. See, He didn't just save us because we're dirty and we didn't, and some judicial change of going, now I'm, you know, He saved me. Thank you. G-. No, He's looking to make us and get us ready for something special. And profound. And the question then comes back as you look at the son and the father. Is it, just, is it a fix-it person? That I only relate to him based on my needs? Or are you catching the bigger flavor of what's really going on that before the foundation the world that there was going to be a gift between the father and the son and it was going to be the gift of a bride? and that you are special, and he wants to change you profoundly. Let's stand and pray.